All right, thanks so much, Mitch. It was a lot of reading, but that's really good, and I appreciate you coming out and doing that. So um, first of all, I just want to shout out Andrew this morning, Andrew Hammett, who was just up here leading worship. Um, it's just so good to be in the house of the Lord and to worship. And as far as I know, everything Andrew does is volunteer. Is that right? Yeah. We, don't, we don't pay him for that. We don't uh, give him a huge, crazy amount of money or like gifts all the time. He just comes out and does this because this is what he loves to do. And I just appreciate him leading us in worship. So thank you so much, Andrew. Y'all make sure to let him know how much you appreciate him. And I want to say, too, I was here, I got to speak a couple weeks ago, and I just appreciate the opportunity to be here with you guys um, to share the gospel. I know what it's like to be used to your pastor, who is really good, like Mitch is an extremely good preacher, an incredible guy, and then to find out somebody else is going to be preaching when you drove all the way out here on Sunday and you got ready and spent all that time and find out it's not even going to be Mitch, I get it. It's disappointing. But you guys have been so graceful, and I really appreciate that. So I'm excited to be here with you guys. I'm excited for um, what God has prepared this morning. For each one of us, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get right into it. God, we thank you so much for, um, for your word. Thank you for the lessons that you teach through your word and the way that you use the, the word of God, the, that you use your words through the Bible um, to make us better, to develop us, and to change us yeah, more into your image. And so I pray this morning um, that our hearts are prepared for what you have for us and that you're working in the lives of everybody who's sitting in this room this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So I was thinking this morning, and I've been thinking the last couple of weeks about this concept in mathematics. There's a concept in mathematics called constants and variables. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Constants versus variables. I vaguely understand this a little bit. I'm really bad at math. I don't understand math. But as far as I know, there's a concept in mathematics like algebra, trigonometry, something like that. I don't know what that is, um, where there are certain numbers that are fixed that don't change. And then there are other numbers called variables that can change depending on different circumstances. Again, I'm not good at math. I don't know what that means, but I do like movies. I like, uh, re I like books. I like movies. I like TV shows. And there's, there's two different types of characters in literature, in movies, um, in storytelling in general. There's, there's characters that are known as dynamic characters, and then there are static characters. And so a dynamic character starts out the movie one way, and they go through a story arc and by the end of the movie, they're a completely different character. And then there's static characters who are the same, they're fixed, they're the same person or the same character throughout the movie. Um, so for example, I, I was thinking of uh, the movie Frozen, one of the best movies ever made, um, Disney. It's about snow, it's really good. Um, there's a character named Elsa in Frozen. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is Elsa a dynamic character or is she a static character? Dynamic, yeah, and by the way, uh, I have a long background in youth ministry, so I don't mind interaction. I'm going to call out. Uh, I'll ask you guys questions, and you're free to answer. Don't worry about that. You can, it's not theoretical questions or hypothetical. You're free to answer those questions. So Elsa, I think, is a dynamic character. She starts out the movie one way, and by the end of the movie, she's a completely different character. You know, she sings Let It Go. All this crazy stuff happens. It's wild. So uh, Elsa is definitely a dynamic character in the movie Frozen. What about uh, Olaf? Is Olaf a dynamic character or is Olaf a static character? Yeah, Olaf is basically the same throughout the entire movie. So I think about those two and the contrast between dynamic and static. And um, <clears throat> I actually had an opportunity to prepare and preach a series um, a couple of years back to, to the youth group I was preaching to, um, and I called it Constant. Because the reality is uh, everything in life changes, our circumstances, the people we hang out with, 
our family situation. So many things in our life are constantly changing um, that the only thing that's actually constant in our life is God. The only thing that we can count on to not be completely different from one day to the next is our Savior. And we're going to look at a story about that. And you, Mitch already read the, the passage that we're going to be in in, in uh, 1 Samuel 16. So if you, if you close your Bible, you can open it back up to 1 Samuel 16. We're going to read that story again in just a second. But this is an example of how we can change from day to day. This wasn't a situation where the circumstances changed or some outside force changed the situation of the character in this story. We're looking at David. And David was in a situation where he was a person who he himself completely changed from one day to the next. And so uh, outside of the story we just read, who can tell me something about David? Just real quick, tell me something that you know about David from the Bible. Yeah, he killed a giant. What else did David do? What else do we know about David? Yeah, he ran away from Saul. That's really good. Thank you, Josh. One more thing and then we'll move on. What else can you tell me about David? Say that again? Yeah, he was a shepherd. There you go. Thanks so much. So we know a lot of things about David, and there's a lot of really good things that we see in the Bible about David. I'm going to read real quick from, uh, from the uh, book of 1 Samuel. You don't have to turn there. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'm going to read you something real quick to tell us a little bit about David. It says, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit of God troubles you. Let our Lord now command your servants which are before you to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit of God is a, uh, from God is upon you that this man will play with his hand and you'll be well. So Saul said to his servants and said, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. And then in verse 18, we're going to learn a little bit about who David was. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, talking about David, that is cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man, a man of war, prudent in matters, and a comely person, meaning he was a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. So what we know about David, just based on that one verse and that one statement from one of Saul's servants, is that David was kind of a beast, all right, he had a lot of good things going for him. So we know that David, uh, like you said, he slew Goliath, right? Goliath was massive. David was a kid. He came out and just destroyed this dude with one stone. We know from, uh, from the story of David that he had multiple chances to kill his biggest enemy, Saul. Saul and David were mortal enemies, and David had so many chances to kill him, but because he was such a good, honorable person and so dedicated to God that he chose not to, he chose peace. If he had killed Saul, he would have eliminated one of his main enemies, and he would have gained power from doing so. But he chose to do the right thing. So David had incredible self-control. We also know that David conquered Jerusalem, and he made it the capital of Israel. This is something that David did as the leader of Israel. He was also victorious in battle against the Philistines, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Amalekites, and the Ammonites. It doesn't matter who those are right now. The fact is, that was a lot of people for David to conquer. Right? David was a beast. He was awesome. He was a man after God's own heart. He was the picture of morality and of spiritual victories. That's who David was. But man, did he mess up. And we're going to go back to the passage in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that we just read. We're going to read it again, and we're going to think about all these things that David had done up to this point and what a great person he was with such an incredible resume. 
And we're going to read just a tragic story about a choice that David made. So starting in verse 1, it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. Um, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. It came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is that not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. One thing I want to point out that's happening here is David had all these, this time and all these chances to change his mind and to do the right thing, and he continued pursuing the path of wickedness. So in verse 5, the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And again, David has a choice to do the right thing. He sent to Joab, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, and Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. So he's just calling him back like, hey, it's no big deal. I just kind of want to know how the war is going. Just wanted to catch up with you, Uriah, you know, just want to see how things are going, you know, no big deal. So verse 8, David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah departed out of the king's house and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. Yeah, again, sounds delicious. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and went not down to his house. So what David's trying to do here is he's trying to trick Uriah into going and being with his wife so that David can cover up the sin that he committed. Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. And when they told David this, saying, Uriah didn't go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Come not thou from your journey? Why then did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink and lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. Uriah is such a pure person and so dedicated to what he's doing that he chooses not to go and experience simple pleasures because he's so determined to be part of what is happening, part of something bigger. So David said to Uriah, uh, tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even, he still went to loud in his bed with the servants of the Lord, but did not go down to his house. So it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Send Uriah to the forefront of the hottest battle and retire from him that he might be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto the place where he knew that the valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Again, David has every chance to make this right and to do the right thing. He continues just to make it worse out of his own selfishness and his own sinful heart. And then down in verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done had displeased the Lord. So this is an incredible story 
where we see somebody who was so dedicated and had done so much for God and was so on fire for doing the right thing, and he goes and just within one day, because of one walk that he took on his roof, he let all of it come crashing down. So we learn a couple of things from this story. We learn a couple of things from this story and from the story of David. And the first thing we learn is that perfection is hard. Perfection is hard. So real quick, we'll do a survey here by show of hands. I just want to know something real quick, and I want you to be honest. I don't want you to, um, to be humble or to, um, to not be honest because you're in church and you don't want people to think that you're lying about something. But just by show of hands, who in here has zero weaknesses and zero flaws? None whatsoever. Show of hands. No weaknesses. Right? All of us have weaknesses. We all mess up. We all sin. We all have issues and problems that we all deal with. But when it comes down to it, we don't want to face those things. This is something we were actually talking about in Griggs' groups about a week and a half ago with Josh Frederick and his group is... Um, I'll be the first one to tell you that I'm not perfect, that I have issues, but as soon as one of you calls me out on something I'm doing wrong, I'm going to push back on you real quick. I don't like that. It stings when somebody points out and somebody calls out sin that I'm committing or something I'm doing that's wrong in a way that I'm wronging somebody else. I don't like that. It stings. It hurts. Sometimes it hurts for like days where I can't get over it. I lose sleep over it. But the reality is those are the moments where I grow. Those are the moments that I develop from. If I'm just continuing in sin and no one calls me out on it, I'm never going to change that behavior and nothing will ever happen about it. And our sin separates us from God. Our sin separates us from the relationship and the communion that we could have with our Savior. So the reality is, as bad as it hurts, we need to be called out on our sin because none of us are perfect. Each one of us, we feel like we're killing it until one day we're not Right? So David wasn't perfect before this incident with Bathsheba, but he was doing really well. He was doing better than pretty much all of us here. But temptation and sin tend to happen when we least expect it. You might, you might be doing everything right, and then suddenly you turn around and do the opposite of what you meant to do. And that's something that Paul the Apostle even talked about struggling with. Right? That whole passage in the King James is absolutely confusing, but he talks about how everything he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the things he doesn't want to do, he does do, because we're constantly battling with the flesh. And you might find yourself doing something you never expected to do. We think about how many Christian leaders, how many, uh, how many Christian influencers that have millions and millions of followers that suddenly do something incredibly, incredibly out of character, and you're like, where did that come from? Right? We think about just the last 10 years, how many Christian leaders have failed because they gave in to temptation. And we thought, man, that person was so on fire. They've done so much for God. They've changed so many lives. And then suddenly, you find them disqualified from ministry because of sin. It doesn't matter who you are. You, we're all tempted and we all fall. I personally have had more come to Jesus moments than I'd like to even admit or that I can remember. But the bottom line is doing the right thing. And being perfect all the time is really difficult. But the good news is grace is unlimited. God's grace is unlimited. We're never too far from it. You never mess up so badly that God's grace is just like, I don't know, I'm not touching that one. God's grace is always there and it's unlimited no matter what you've done. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we've also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ 
and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. But it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that nobody might boast. In Lamentations 3, in 22 and 23, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. No matter how you've messed up, no matter how often you've messed up, no matter what you did, God's grace is unlimited and it covers what you've done. And the biggest thing we learn from these passages is that living for God is not a checklist. It's not a set of rules that you have to follow. And as soon as you stop following those rules, or you broke one of those rules, you have to go fix it and then go back to following those rules again. Right? If, if it were that easy, the Bible would be like one page long. It would be like, here's the rules you got to do. If you don't, uh, do this and then get back to it. It would be really simple. But the reality is the Christian life is so much more complex than that. We're on a journey with our Creator. And He's called us to a better life than slavery and bondage to sin. So living for God is a deeply personal journey. And God's grace is unlimited on that journey. It's about knowing your creator. It's about knowing how to love yourself and how to love others. It's about finding light in darkness. And it's a lifestyle with a uh, purpose, free from, from toxic habits and relationships and everything that Satan wants to use to pull us down. When we truly understand God's grace and we understand it by being in the word and by being around God's people, that's how we truly understand the grace of God. And once you understand that and allow that to wash over you and allow that to change your mind and your heart, that's when you can let go of the shame and the guilt and the stress and these things that are holding you back from being who God designed you to be and from changing the part of the world that you're in. When you allow God's grace to change you, you can't help but let that overflow into everything you say and everyone you talk to. This is how God wants you to live and that's why his grace is unlimited. When we allow that shame and that guilt to hold us back, Satan wins. God wants you to change the world. God wants you to change the relationships that you're in. God wants you to have an an influence on people. But if all we're ever doing is is feeling shame over things we've done wrong, then we're never going to allow God's grace to change us and to change the world. So talking about constants and variables... We're talking about how everything in our life can change from day to day, and a lot of times it does. And change is difficult, it's stressful. So many things in our life are variable, and sometimes that's gonna be you. Just like David, you might be living one way, and you might have these great habits, and you might, you might get up at six o'clock in the morning to read your Bible before you move on with your day, and then one day you find yourself living in sin. You find yourself completely messing up and doing something you never intended to do. That might happen. If it happened to David, it can happen to you. Right? So it's simple math, variables. Like I said, I don't really understand this concept, but you might be a 10 right now, but later tonight you're a 4. Like after you wash your makeup off. I'm just kidding. I had to. You get that one in a second. But we tend to change day by day. Just because you're living one way doesn't mean you're going to completely change, but the constant in our life is God's grace. Let that sink in and allow that to uh, dictate your attitude towards your sin and towards your circumstances and toward the way you live your life and how you speak with God. That grace that God gives you is constant and will never give up. And the reason I know that is because God didn't give up 
on David. He had every reason to. We just read a story where David went out, he committed adultery with somebody's wife while that person was fighting in a war, and then he worked as hard as he could to cover it up. And when he couldn't cover it up, he had this guy killed. And then after that, he went and took the guy's wife and made her his. That was horrible what David did. And guess what? God could have given up on him. I know I would have. I would have said, yeah, I'm never talking to that dude again. He's dead to me. I'm done with David. Yeah, I don't mess with him. He's not my friend anymore. I don't talk to him. He's blocked on Facebook. I don't mess around with that guy after what he did. God had every reason to give up on David, but he didn't. And the reason I know that is because after this, David continued being king for 17 more years. 17 years. That's a long time. God could have been like, you got a week, max, pack your bags, get your stuff out of the castle. Um, you're done. You got a week left and that's it. But David continued being king for 17 more years. We also read that David was able to pass the torch of, of uh, the kingdom to his son Solomon. And we know Solomon for his wealth and wisdom and the fact that he built God's temple. So David had the honor of passing that along to his son Solomon. And then one of the biggest things is as David is credited as Jesus' ancestor and the father of God's kingdom. And that's an incredible honor, and that's something that God easily could have taken away. He could have said, no, you messed up. I'm going to give it to your son instead, or I'm going to give it to your dad, because Jesus was descended from them too, right? They were also the father of God's kingdom, but no, we understand it as being descended from David. And so God chose not to give up on David. In fact, we, we still see the symbol of, uh, of the kingdom of Israel as being the star of David. So God was intentional in the fact that he did not give up on David, and he gave us this story to let us know that he's not going to give up on you. No matter what you do, and no matter how bad you've messed up, and no matter how bad you will mess up, because you will, right? None of us are going to go pinch a shutout from here until we're dead, where we never sin again. It's going to happen. And just know that God's grace has already covered that. All we have to do is ask. Mistakes are inevitable. That's part of being human. And you might feel like God should give up on you or that he has give, given up on you. And maybe he should have, but that's why you're not God. God's grace is so much bigger than anything we could ever come up with. Romans 8.38 said, Nothing can separate you from God's love. No matter what it is, nothing can separate you from God's love. And what I want to challenge you with this morning is it's time to give it to God. I don't know what it is you're struggling with or what it is you're feeling shame or guilt about. But understand that that's Satan accusing you, that's Satan using that to hold you back from fulfilling the purpose that God has for you. And it's time to let that go and give it to God. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's no caveats on that verse. There's no disclaimer. This is unless you did this or unless you did that. If you confess your sin to God, no matter what it is, he is faithful and he's just, and he will forgive it and cleanse you from your unrighteousness. But I do want to add one thing, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 6. This is the last one we'll look at this morning, Romans chapter 6. We're just going to read a couple of verses out of Romans chapter 6. Because we might sit here and think, okay, so, so what I'm hearing you say, Nate, is that it doesn't matter what I do, it doesn't matter how badly I sin, that God's going to forgive me every time. So I can go out and do whatever I want. That might be what you're hearing right now. Like, I can go out and commit whatever sin I want to and then just tell God I'm sorry and it's okay, right? But that's completely missing the point. 
if that's your mindset. We're going to look at Romans chapter 6 and verses 1 through 4. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And I really want to encourage you sometime, like this afternoon, if you have time, read the entire uh, chapter, Romans chapter 6. It's incredible how he goes into detail on this Christian life. Like I said earlier, it's not a checklist of things we do and things we don't do. It's that God has set us free from the slavery of sin. And if we're going back to that sin that God set us free from, we're not experiencing the life that God created for us. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? If you're constantly going back to your sin, just knowing that God is going to forgive you and that his grace covers that, then you're never going to live in that freedom that God has called you to. So I want to, I want to encourage you and challenge you that that's the wrong approach and we're set free to live an abundant life. And that's what I want for each one of you. And I know this because I was a person who lived in sin for years. I didn't become a Christian until um, later in my teenage years. And before that, I knew about God. My, my dad is a pastor. I grew up in a Christian school. So it's not that I didn't know about God's grace or I didn't know about the Bible. I knew all about it. I just didn't care. And I lived in sin for years. And let me tell you, it's not what it's cracked up to be. Because when my head hit the pillow at night, knowing that there's more going on than just me fooling around and being rebellious and doing whatever I want, I couldn't sleep at night. I had bad insomnia growing up because I knew that what I was doing wasn't right. It wasn't fulfilling. And no matter what I tried, no matter what I tried to make myself happy, it was never enough. And there's a void in our lives that only God can fill. And only living in this freedom that God gives us can help us to live this abundant life that God planned for us. It's not what it's cracked up to be. One thing we need to understand about sin is that anything that is sin is an addiction. The pleasures of sin only last a season. Sin is addicting. It's things that make us want and crave more. And you ask anybody who's dealt with any sort of an addiction, did they want to be in that situation? Did they want to be addicted to that substance or whatever it was? That's never the case because addictions are harmful. They're self-destructive. So when we're tempted to go down that path of sin like we saw David do, that wasn't a place that he wanted to be. And that's what God sets us free from is addictions and slavery. So ask anybody who's addicted to something. It's not worth it. So understand this morning, I want you to understand that no matter what you've done, it's not too big for God's grace. Perfection is difficult, but God's grace is unlimited. And we can live in that freedom knowing that God sets us free from that sin. But if you've never accepted the gift of salvation that God provides freely, if you've never accepted that and you've never been adopted into God's kingdom, I want to ask you one question this morning. What's stopping you? What's stopping you? If God has promised this abundant life to his children, to those of us who have given our sin to God and, and chosen to live a life dedicated to our king, what's stopping you this morning? And as the band comes forward, I just want to encourage you I want to encourage you this morning. The book of Romans says the consequences of sin is death. 
And that's death here and that's death for eternity. But the gift of God, the free gift that he gives to us with no caveats and no strings attached, the free gift of God is eternal life an abundant life here on earth, an eternal life in paradise with our Savior. I want to encourage you that just because right now you're enslaved to your sin and right now you have no freedom to live the fulfilled life that God has promised you doesn't mean you have to stay that way. That doesn't have to be the way you live the rest of your life. God is offering freedom to every single one of us. And if you have not taken advantage of that, I just want to ask you, why not? What's stopping you? And if that's something you want, you know that, that sin is not worth it. You know that the life you're living right now is not what you're called to live. And you want something more. You want to be God's child. You want to be on God's team. I want to encourage you to make that decision this morning. It's nothing crazy. There's no ritual that you have to perform. There's no initiation. There's nothing ridiculous. It's as, as simple as giving your sin to God and allowing him to be the Lord of your life. And if you want to make that decision this morning, I would encourage you after the service to talk to one of us. Talk to one of the leaders here at Griggs and let us know that that's the life that you would like and you want to make that decision today. You want to let go of your, your slavery to sin. You want to live in freedom with God. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. It's the best decision you can ever make. Like I said, I, I live most of my teenage years, um, I live most of my, my teenage years in slavery to sin. That's who I was. That's that's a life that was unfulfilling that I couldn't, I couldn't escape from until I was able to give it all to God who turned my life around. And it wasn't about following a bunch of rules or like now I go to church every Sunday or now I read the Bible better or anything like that. It's about freedom from all the things that were holding me back. It's about freedom to walk in newness of life. And I want that for each one of you. So I'm going to pray this morning. And if you're thinking through that and you're thinking, I've never given my life to Jesus and I know that I need to, I really want to encourage you again to make that decision. Don't walk out of here without giving your sin to God and allowing him to be the Lord of your life. We're gonna to pray together. God, thank you so much for the unlimited grace that covers our sin. Thank you that no matter what we've done, it's not too big for you. It's not too big for your forgiveness. I pray if there's anyone here who's struggling because they can't let go of sin and they're still feeling enslaved to it, that you allow them freedom from that this morning. I pray that your spirit is working on hearts and minds. That we walk out of here changed. And that because of that change in our life, that we can make a difference. Just like David went on to become, to be king for 17 more years and do so many incredible things in your name. I pray that for the people here who are still feeling shame and guilt for something that they've done in their past. That you allow them freedom from that so they can move forward in abundance of life. We thank you so much for how good you are. We pray that this morning that your presence is here with us and that you're changing us as a result of your word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.